Clustered conversations. Clustered conversations. By Weka. Hello and welcome to another great episode of Clustered Conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Bob. <laughs> We've got a great episode for you here today, guys. We have uh, Chris Zurich from our uh, Fed team with us today. Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm Chris Zurich. I'm a federal SC. Joined Weka a little bit over a year ago. Been a great run so far. Started out, I feel like, the right way, which is having to install systems, having to solve problems in the trenches mm-hmm. and um, yep. trying to get systems to perform at their maximum potential. Which... Did you learn how to search the viewer? That's the question. <laughs> traces? <laughs> yeah. <Search> the viewer. <laughs> yeah, I've dabbled a, a little bit with traces, but definitely have more work to do. Traces is its own interesting thing and actually realistically quite the program that development put together for that it's a an extremely powerful tool for looking through the logs essentially yeah it it's, shows everything that's happened ever which in federal they like that that's that's helpful and i found that with uh competing technologies they're used to looking into equivalent trace options so just from like a like an auditing standpoint of who did a read and from where sort of thing or yeah for sure so they want to know exactly when like when a file was opened what part of the infrastructure opened it um, how long it was opened things along those lines if there was a problem at the same time it's useful so I remember I think I met you first working on a crazy like a performance deal that we're working on with a customer and uh, we're trying to get to a certain number. And I know they, they keep upping that number and you guys keep hitting it. So I think we start off like, you know, was it 300 gigabytes a second sustained and then keeps moving up from there? Yeah. So we had a system we were going to deliver um, to a customer and we had to prove the full potential of the system before we delivered it. So I worked with our engineering team um, and Rob Roy, our performance guru, to dial in the system and get the max potential out of it. And it really showed me the full potential of multi-container backend, um, which we recently announced, which is really going to just take our amazing performance right now and double, triple, or quadruple it in an extremely small form factor, which I think is really exciting. That system that I worked on, we hit over 400 gigabytes a second for reads, over 200 gigabytes a second for writes. And I think for IOPS, we hit over 20 million. And we hit around four and a half or five million for writes for IOPS. 20 million. And how big was that thing? How many, how many servers? 16. 16 so 16. And what, were they one not user? even our maximum strike width which is crazy <laughs> but they were they were one u servers though yeah, yeah. they're one u servers yeah so so it's 16 each. u less than half a rack 16 you, yeah. <laughs> 20 million ions that's, that's the yeah. 400 gigabytes a second we were talking just before this we have a customer wow. who's got 44 servers i don't know how many u probably it's gonna be two u each so maybe 88 u 
they were doing one terabyte a second just in their normal daily workload. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, these are ridiculous. I remember numbers. when like one gigabyte a second was a big deal. Remember when yeah, a two gig drive was? A, just I remember when a two just... gig drive was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The numbers are. I, I remember getting my first one. Well, yeah, one one gigabyte drive and going, "Oh, I can fit a, I can fit a whole CD on this thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is crazy." <laughs> Like, what am I going to do with all this space? Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, that's less than one episode of anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> Now we spend our time talking about exabytes and petabytes and how to get terabytes yeah. a second. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was talking to a partner today about that, that one terabyte a second read that you mentioned. And they were more impressed with the fact that it was the amount of data that we actually moved. Yes. Because one terabyte a second, it wasn't just like, a needle up and down. It was sustained performance at one terabyte a second. And it moved what? 700 terabytes of data. Like yeah, close to a petabyte. 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an obscene amount, it, which kind of makes, begs the question, like, what are they moving? <laughs> what, what are you possibly moving that you're moving 700 terabytes of data? Like, what are you churning through? But well, this is the world we live in, right? Well, so. that rolls us into a question. I mean, uh, Josh and I work in the commercial side, and you're in the Fed. So we yeah. often know a lot about the mm. customer's workload. Some of them keep them somewhat secret, but they give us uh, a pretty good insight into what it is and parameters. I think in your world, you guys are kind of sometimes sizing in the dark, literally. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's that different. It's just that the the workloads aren't exposed but they have very similar challenges so um and tell me if i'm wrong in your experience on the commercial side but once a successful project is executed within an organization word gets out and then other projects start getting piled on and other workloads start getting piled on so one of the things that i I always explain to customers is that our ability to handle such a wide range, such a wide breadth of workloads is critical in the federal space because their workload requirements are constantly changing. Um, And it's outside of their control, especially due to the structure of how federal contracts work. You have the contracting side that's usually separate from the application side and the developers and the end users. And it creates a scenario where the the contractors are literally the ISP and they have to create these catch-all environments. So um, you're, you're never dealing with one workload. It's not like, oh, it's always a throughput-based workload. It's like, no, 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 I have small files, I have big files, I have everything between, I have mixed workloads and... They need a simple solution, um, just like the the commercial space where you want to focus on actually delivering the product to your customer, um, not managing the infrastructure. So, that is, I'm actually kind of curious. Then, is the uh, like big given the Fed space, Gov space is it's definitely a lot smaller than sort of the overarching enterprise and commercial. Yep. I wonder if news travels faster. Yes, it does. And you have that sort of more insular, more more you know hush hush kind of kind of org. 
Yeah, especially in like HPC space. So we've done a ton of work with all of the national labs, pretty much. Um, anyone who we're not doing work with right now, we've, we're having conversations with them. And um, the first install I did was at Oak Ridge. Um, and that, that install spread like wildfire to the other national labs and they all, they all know each other. It's kind of crazy. It's like all the HPC people know each other. All the people who know who are running infrastructure at scale know each other. Um, other organizations are more insular, but still, mm-hmm. um, they're all trying to tackle the same problems. Everyone's trying to move lots of data. AI has become a big deal all over the place, right? There's uh, surveillance, even of the customers, right? They have cameras that they want to use for uh, capturing video and facial rec or even just uh, um, recognition of, of different objects in the f- picture. I mean, that's the, the autonomous driving stuff that we work on for the most part. So it's not much different. I don't think that the workloads are different. It's just the uh, the amount you're allowed to know about the workload sometimes becomes different. And then sometimes yeah. the... Uh, uh, it, it's a little easier, I would say, in in the commercial because we can partner with almost anybody. But sometimes when you get in with the uh, Fed, there's very specific contracts, very specific schedules, very specific hardware and software partners you can work with, and you know, in any given project. Sometimes, at least that's what I remember from my days in the '90s working at a at a federal contractor. Yeah, it can be very siloed, but um. Most contracts have an OEM of choice. So the work that we've done over the past year to like open everything up to normalize things and and get the OEMs on board to show that we can add value and we can bridge some of the gaps they have. That's huge because the contract vehicles that exist, they like to cookie cutter everything. So there's an easy button for the government. Um, and it's mutually beneficial. So they just say, you know, I want to buy 10 servers um, and they can just execute it. So it's just, you know, one more on that whole, whole thread right there. I mean, we, in the last couple of years, right, we started off with HPE when I first got here in Supermicro, right? Then we added Penguin. Mm-hmm. And then I believe uh, Dell kind of walked in there. Hitachi's been in, uh, involved. Now we got Lenovo, IBM. It's kind of nice. It's, a, it's the, the who's who of everyone. Of, of everyone in the uh, um, world kind of working with us, um, trying to get our software on their hardware, which is pretty cool. Hopefully we'll have some reference architectures coming out with each of them just to demonstrate. Because even in a small footprint, we can we can blow the doors off things that I never thought was possible. I just delivered, I'm in the middle of delivering a system to one of the national labs and the single client performance out of Weka is just unreal. So, yeah, yeah you were mentioning sometimes, that. Sometimes, yeah, I was just I I was I was talking to a, a partner today about it, and it helps us differentiate where we should, where we're right versus where we're wrong. So, like general purpose office shares, home directories, like slow scratch face, horrible. No, 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 waste no. of time, yes. complete waste of time. But like. Oh, you invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in GPUs or millions. You want to feed those GPUs and you want single client performance matters. You want to be able to saturate your 200 gig, 400 gig network. And we can do that and demo, like we delivered a six node cluster 
And the first thing I did was I spun up one client, gave us four cores, and I maxed out the 200 gig network immediately. And they're like, wait a second, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's 20, 21 gigabytes, like GIB with a big B of throughput for reads and writes. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's like over four times faster than like from a single client. And then on the IOPS side, it's like over a million IOPS read and write out of a single client as well. And you start thinking mm -hmm. about how your infrastructure decisions change when you have so much performance that you can gain with yeah. so little overhead as well. It's just like, it's unreal. Well, we did some test testing recently with SageMaker, right? That uh, I saw today. And we yeah. were doing some interesting stuff there where we can make the workload with by keeping it exactly the same, not changing anything, just running it on Weka and moving the data onto Weka, then running the job we can cut the job's time by more than 50%. The same job wow. versus what they were doing now. But then the part that got really interesting is if they actually just hosted the data on Weka and not have to move it yeah. there, it, it it's 3x faster. So it's like wow. a third of the time. Because now you get rid of that download step, right? Of, of pulling off of some S3 bucket somewhere into yeah. local, the local Weka or the local disk and in the case of sort of standard SageMaker. Uh, yeah. well, it's, the, it's amazing what happens yeah. when you don't do data copies. <laughs> you don't have to do data well, copies that's, anymore. I, mean, I don't think we talk about it enough, Josh. I mean, that's something I think we definitely should spend more mm -hmm. time talking about on the show and everywhere else is that we help customers remove copies from their workflow. They don't realize that's a yeah. time sink because it's always been there, right? It's like, we've always done it this yeah. way, so we're going to keep doing it this way. Well, what if you didn't? How much time would you save? Could that job be five times faster? Quite possibly could. Or 40 times as one yeah, customer or, saw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At, at, at the very minimum, just getting rid of that literal waste of time. Yeah. Of, of doing that data copy from a, a you know a centralized repo, an archive, whatever, into your live file system to then do work. How about you just do the work? Much better. Well, that's what it seems like data lakes. Everybody says like, oh, I'm going to create a data lake. But traditionally, that's extremely slow. Because there was no other way cost effectively to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a bunch so. of SATA drives and maybe uh, <laughs> just yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, the good old days. Yeah. Or more importantly, using an you know, extremely like latency intensive like protocol, like you're sitting there doing transfers over S3. And, and yeah, if you do huge block sizes on S3, you can get fairly yeah. reasonable throughput. Yeah, but not IOPS. If you have a yeah, I not not I ops. Oh yeah. gosh, but if you have like a bunch of servers all trying to do work at the same time, and they're all pulling down the same data, and they're all pulling that same data down locally, like you're just multiplying the that that sort of data movement that you've just done, that time it takes to do that, especially if it's a a resource constrained data lake that you're pulling from, um, and now you have you know that copy of the data lake, and then potentially dozens or hundreds or thousands of copies across your compute infrastructure when you could just have one and still make use of an S3 object store on the back end as your cheap and deep storage with Weka. It's yeah. like massive efficiency gains, massive time savings, wall clock time, job run times. Yeah. You know, no matter how you look at it, like even if you consider, you know, well, how fast is my local NVMe on a 
on a disc. Like I was, I was just looking at some, uh, doing some testing using our NFS stack and looking at, you know, in, in Amazon, uh, what if I turned on FS cash and, and use that, you know, maybe I'm, you know, averse to having a bunch of data going across an, uh, an AZ or something like that. And yeah, it works like that, that caching will, will function, but is it faster than the, the network on the instance? like, well, if you've got greater than 50 gig on the instance or 50 gig or more, no, unless you're trying to raid together, like software raid together NVMEs on a, on a cloud instance, which I mean, sounds like fun, but maybe dangerous. Don't worry. They're not Uh, persistent. Well, and it's, it's cash anyway. So it's, so it shouldn't be right. But like, it's, it's still, it's still slower. And actually it was even less consistent in its speed, which was really curious to see. Like it would drop down to NFS speed when it was grabbing a block that for whatever reason didn't have in cache and would struggle to accelerate back up to like the two and a half, three gig that I was seeing. And then it would go up a little bit higher, but then back down to like two or one and a half. And it was really variable. Whereas with our POSIX agent, it was rock solid at like line rate. Uh, Josh, I think you had, uh, you had some queries. I do, have, I do have something that's sort of itching at the mind here. <laughs> I can <So> tell. <laughs> how are we... How are we well positioned for selling into the federal space? Like what, what sort of like certifications do we have or do we need or do, are we working on that are going to enable us to sort of be, be a better fit and a, an easier sort of shoehorn in? The first big one, well, there are two. There's FedRAMP, which is on the cloud side, which we're in the mm-hmm. process of finalizing. And then there's FIPS. So the encryption side, since pretty much every contract out there is requiring data encryption at rest. Um, so both of those certifications are the cornerstone of, of what we need to complete. At this point, the nice thing is, though, we can work with customers to um, qualify each of those in terms of getting a waiver. Obviously, it requires a little bit more effort. Um, but from mm-hmm. an account team perspective, we're prepared to explain exactly how our encryption works and exactly how our software is certified and, and all those things. Um, there's also ITAR compliance, which we are we are ITAR compliant, which is essentially, uh, I believe it's the international software ITAR compliance piece. Yeah. I've not heard of that one. International traffic of arms regulation. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think. Uh, Bucca is a high performance <laughs> weapon of sorts. Weird thing. Yes. I actually heard about this when I was at NetApp because we uh, ran into a little issue there. So it was, it's public, you know, it's, was a Senate hearing and having your company's name in a Senate oh. hearing is always a very yeah. interesting thing. <laughs> it's always fun. I think it's actually the, the encryption tech that's being used. You can't export out yep. Yep. if memory serves, right? Wow. And if from all on that as well, memory serves, we, uh, the encryption algorithm that we use for our at rest and in flight, that's FIPS compliant the the encryption algorithm itself yeah yeah it is we just have to sort of go through the whole end to end yeah there's a bunch of checks and balances they want to make sure that we're using the latest libraries um Mm -hmm. under the covers uh because there's constantly zero day exploits and 
all that good oh, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, and, and if you're in the Fed space, you're probably the the target of those O days or those you know negative one days from various other unfriendly, shall we say, countries that love to poke and prod. Sure. Yeah. Well, the entire government's uh, a target, unfortunately. Yeah. So, and then data spills and people taking data from these places. That's what they're, that's what every federal agency or is a trying spreadsheet to with the social security numbers on the laptop that's on the train. Yep. <laughs> Don't share. Is that the OPM one? Because I still have free credit monitoring because <laughs> security is always here. Yeah, security's great <laughs> yeah. up until you know it uh, touches a person. The person's always a security <laughs> hole. <laughs> this is yeah. this is true. If it was all just handled by machines, it'd be much more secure. <laughs> just like uh, computers and software are fantastic if there weren't any users. It'd drive me nuts. It's, I was just rewatching Tron with with my son. Oh, geez. And that was that was hilarious. I never actually watched the first Tron all the way through, and it was it, it was a thing. All right, yeah. <laughs> I, feel I like love that, that era of movies has like inspired a lot of the tech now. Yeah, in terms of Tesla I mean, and other companies that are trying to build, you know, all electric vehicles that are modeled after these these movies that we grew up with, because all these engineers yeah. are looking at it like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I built like this, this all electric, quiet, fast vehicle that had going doors. <laughs> <laughs> I still want my jetpack and my flying car, though. Come on, where's those? Yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously, where's did you the, see I mean, that United based in the twenties? Wasn't it? Excuse me. Did you see United's coming out with um, the all electric shuttles? Oh wow! They really? are like quadcopters. Yeah, they're gonna they're um, releasing them in Chicago first. That's awesome. I mean, cause, yeah, I've flown in well, Chicago. There's about, you know, 20 airports around there that they, they go to that, that are short hops, like less than a half an hour between Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, then you got Wisconsin and Madison, all these guys, these little short hops that they do all day long every day. Yep. Really? Yeah. So that would save a hell of a lot of fuel for them as well. Yeah. That is pretty cool. <laughs> then on the other end of the spectrum, are you guys tracking the the boom project? No, I've not heard of it. Oh yeah, yeah. commercial supersonic flight. The super, yeah, the yeah, supersonic jet that they're building. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're having trouble sourcing engines for it, though. Well, there's not too many commercially available. Yeah, Rolls Royce. Yeah. I think like, they're trying to do super cruise dollars. too, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, we we had the uh, the what's it called the um what was the plane? Shoot, the Concorde. The Concorde, yes. Until we didn't. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, un- until yeah, fuel became far too expensive. Well, they also yeah. had a and, couple of interesting they, incidents towards the end. So, I mean, <laughs> accidents. <laughs> it's it's a machine. Oh, yeah, some machine small break. problems. So yeah, yeah. It's I would love to do. I would love to do it. I mean, I like the concept of a uh, uh, you know low orbit flight, especially since you can get up there and it makes it, the trip actually slightly faster because you have less resistance on top of everything else. The Concorde would cruise at 58,000 yeah. feet, wouldn't it? Like yeah. way up there. Essentially yeah. just, what, afterburn mm-hmm. up to its like apoasis and then kind of sort of powered glide all the way back down. 
Well, it depends on how fast you're going. If you go in the right direction, you can't just hang there and let the earth go underneath you and then just go back and land. (laughs) You got to be pretty high up for that one. If you're you're going up to geostationary (laughs) orbit, you're 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 a couple thousand miles out there. (laughs) That'd be the fun way to do it. <laughs> might not be any shorter, but could be interesting. Could 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 be very interesting. This is a long sure. descent. <laughs> <laughs> very long descent. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Oh. So, Chris, anything else you want to talk about? Is there some other cool stuff you've seen recently? Yeah. So we're working with partners along the encryption side. Um, we're qualifying a number of systems with said drives. Um, yeah because it removes our need to do any of the encryption and they're a tried and true offering. And a lot of the latest NVMEs that are coming out are, have said built into them. Well, we technically support them. It's just making sure the key is there when the system boots, right? That's, that's Mm -hmm. a big trick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The The drives need to unlock before Weka starts up, which for that, your boot drive is going to be a said drive anyway. So it's, yeah. So hopefully not an issue. Yeah, should be all right. Yeah, what else? Cool. I think I'm excited to see the PCIe Gen 5 systems that are coming out. I know that supply chain's been holding us back in terms of testing them. Yes. Um, And I'm also excited to see the EDSF form factor drives that are starting to make their way into Mm -hmm. systems because... We're going to start seeing much higher density, um, which is a common request. They're more power efficient or faster. Um, so I feel like we're getting closer to that NVMe to SATA price parity, wow. um, especially when you start looking at data efficiency. You add that on top, depending on workload. So, so we're finally going to get those 150 terabyte NVMEs that we were promised like five years ago. Six years <laughs> There's ago, one company that list. actually makes those right now. Do we need 150 terabyte? We got 30s already. No, no, we oh, don't. Of you do. The more the better. Just you know, putting more Especially eggs in that on, one on a Gen 5? digital basket. Oh, you just have more baskets. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I still like uh, the the seven gig, seven terabyte drives personally. 7.68 of the sweet spot. Mid-point. Yeah, they get the speed on reads and writes, and they uh, they they scale pretty fast. The 15s are good, but f- 15s often have very good read, but the the writes are always a little slower than everything else. At least, unless you buy the really really high end ones, which you should. Which you should. That way, you get better writes. <laughs> <laughs> where do you um speaking of writes? Where do you guys see like is it CXL? The new. Mm-hmm. We had a podcast on this actually with those guys. So, did you? Yeah, we did. Right. We did. Uh, we're actually I apologize for not listening. No, no worries. It's it's an interesting one. Um, that it, it it's kind of like we keep breaking out more and more components from the computer, and then putting it onto a network that attaches to it, but it lets us scale independently, right? So now it's going to be interesting to see memory basically separated from the system. As well, and be able yeah. to share as a as a shared construct. I don't know how that's that going to work, but it's an interesting way to do it. I love the idea. The way I see it, it's it's going. It's it's an interesting TikTok, not that TikTok, yeah. but a, a to and fro, right? Of um, 
And in the beginning, there was mainframe. <laughs> and then there was open systems. And then mainframe got cool again. But then Linux came out and mainframe went the wayside for open systems. Then VMware came out. And now we're going. And VMware was, then VMware came out. Which is essentially a mainframe. But, <laughs> Which is essential. Yeah. Then no. Docker and Kubernetes. <laughs> LPARs, baby. Yeah. LPARs. But now with yeah. with CXL going going or coming in, I should say, I think that's gonna be interesting in what sort of hybrid, like not quite open system, but I've got these racks I have in a data center, and I really would be cool if like all of these systems just sort of behaved like one. What if you watch, I mean, for the last 40 years, we've gone from single servers to distributed, to single servers to distributed, single servers to distributed. Mm-hmm. Just keep going, doing this dance over and over again. Yep. I mean, yep. GPUs are basically back to that single server, right? <laughs> Even if you have 100 of them, it's still 100 versus 10,000, which you know we would do with a single rack. It, it's more condensed than it was. And we keep doing this dance, but I guess that's just how technology works, right? Just like we had those TCP offload chips for a while there. They were cool. But they were just waiting until CPUs got an extra core and, <laughs> and a little faster gigahertz. Exactly. Exactly. I'm looking forward to when, because I, I still think this is true, with PCI Gen 5, we've made all of these improvements in signaling speed and tech, and the interconnects are now massively, massively fast. Like we went from Gen 3 to Gen 4, and that took forever. And then Gen 5 just suddenly came up. I feel like Gen, Gen Four is getting. Is twice as fast I think as Gen four. Four, five, four is getting the uh, the short of the stick there, man. It's just not nice. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, it's definitely not getting its time in the sun. No, um, but processors are still, at least at least in the x eighty six space, and maybe in an extent to the ARM space as well. the The speed at which a single clock can produce a flop is still relatively unchanged. Like yeah. there's iterative improvements. It's still, you know, 10, 12% IPC per generation. But when the when the generational change from sig- in, in signaling and, and transmit on like from PCIe Gen 4 to 5 is 2x, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's 100% faster and not just 10 or 15% faster. You know, it's a, a, a 10x generation hop from a CPU perspective-ish, maybe eight, whatever. Um but that's you know what a new architecture comes out every year, eighteen months or so for for CPUs. You know, even if it's just a six X, that's still you know eight nine years ish worth of improvement on on the uh, on the interconnect. So it's it'll be interesting to see how CPUs catch back up and and what throughput will continue to look at or look like into the future. Because I don't think CPUs right now are going to be able to keep up with PCI Gen 5. Yeah, that was at an, an NVIDIA event um, this past week. And they openly stated that Moore's Law is slowing down. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, they keep saying that. If it slows down until it doesn't, right? Yeah, I mean, he did, well, he did for different components, away. though. So CPU clock speed being one. When was the last mm-hmm. time we doubled the clock speed? It seems like we're back into the core count wars where you shove 128 cores into a single socket. Like, okay, that's cool. Um, but then for us, we need to we need to scale, which, you know, it's where MCB. Gordon Moore just passed so. away a couple of days ago, too. That's huh. true. So. Yeah, at 96. 94. Right. He'll, he'll do it R. again R. At, one, at 188. 
<laughs> Have you guys, um, in the Fed space, edge is really important and one of the focuses. Um, mm -hmm. Have you dealt with edge at all? We've I feel got, like we, we get you know, introduced Mo. into big, big data centers with big, big data problems, but the big focus especially in the Fed space is edge. And how do we do AI at the edge? How do we do, do data processing at the edge? How do we build mm -hmm. an efficient system? And my answer has been um, converged. Yeah, so that's one the way fact we yeah, have a converged offering is a strength and, and you can run mm -hmm. the applications on the same system. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, we've gotten asks for like video capture systems from people doing a you know, remote video. Um, that they wanted to have it as close to them as possible without having to go over the wire, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's mm -hmm. one. And there's also, we've talked to oil and gas who want to have it in their in remote locations, little boxes that are yeah. collecting data. Uh, so yeah, we're... The M&E space as well of having like a central yeah. repo for your assets and yep. then your artists in various locations. That's another one. Then there's also the uh, the whole concept of, of telemetry data capture right at, at the source. Mm -hmm. So like guys like uh, Rocket... Guys who build rockets, they like to have it on the uh, on the launch pad and on the landing pad. Mm -hmm. So it gets mm -hmm. really interesting to be able to pull that data. Um, you know, yes, we've been discussing it. We're trying to figure it out, but uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation, right? Trying to figure it out, trying to get it set up. Yeah, but yeah, I know a lot of nuance there. We're close as far as what, being able to build a system, right? Right, Josh. I mean, we can build mm -hmm. a system that works oh, yeah. with four nodes, right? That's to you um, if they do it. Um, the converge is a much better way to go about it. I, I like that concept. It's just uh, the customer has to be willing to offer us a couple of cores to be able to run Weka on there, right? And that that becomes the uh, the balancing yeah. act. Yeah, and then also once again, not treating that system like a yeah like cattle. It's now it's yeah. now a pet again because it's your storage. Yep. Don't shut down more than one server at a time. Right. And that's actually a discussion right. we're having with a, a research group that's asking, hey, if I had a, 180 of these things and we run it with uh, uh, Weka on it and converged, can I take down two racks at a time? <laughs> no, not unless you let me do no. this crazy thing, which is called you know, failure domains and are willing to run with a very small stripe. Yes, we can do that. But yeah, always I no. Say. Then and only then. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. If you put one server in each rack, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just I mean, more racks. with that, more though, racks. that's where failure domains, if you put two servers in each rack, or if, unless, as long as they don't want like 20 servers in each rack, you're, you're okay. Yeah, we started doing the math and it ends up being like a, a eight plus two is what the stripe Ooh. I can do across this entire giant cluster on the way they want to rack them. It's like, all right, we could do it, but you know, this is. <laughs> This is the only way. So we get amazing performance. Yeah, they'll have fantastic read performance. Oh, the, yeah. re the writes will be a little more hindered, but it won't be that bad, right? It'll still be performant, but it won't be at the full scale that we can get to. And the utilization is the one that, that suffers, right? That's the part that I don't like in something that large. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Much better to have a wider stripe if you can. Exactly. Because, I mean, that's the difference between having a 60% utilization and an 80% utilization in that, in that configuration. Mm -hmm. Totally. So cool. Um, I think we've awesome. gotten to the, the the part where we're just chatting about crazy stuff now. So, <laughs> <laughs> spare the listeners' ears here. Yeah. Is there anything else, Josh, that you want to discuss? 
Anything else? Any questions for no. for Chris? Chris, anything you can ask no, us that's not going to be uh, get us shot in the head with a you know red dot? <laughs> no, I'm good. All right, cool. Appreciate the opportunity. At the door. <laughs> Sweet. Well, awesome. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I guess for uh, Cluster Conversations, I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.